Hi, everybody. Hey, good morning. Yeah. Uh, or good evening us. or good afternoon, wherever you're tuning in from. Happy International Podcasting Day. Oh, there we go. Yep. Today is the day for all podcasters. So that's okay. kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty nice. They made a, a day for us now. Yeah. There's a day uh, for everything. Yeah. There's a lot going on today in terms of uh, podcast. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that so, I, I will be tuning into. That's for sure. What kinds of podcasting events um, happen on International Podcasting Day? Uh, there is actually a pretty big podcasting movement. And actually, there is a um, once a year conference. Uh, this year, it will be actually next year in 2019. It will be in Florida. Um, and it's pretty big. Uh, I think they're up to around, I believe it's around 2,000 people uh, and gaining more momentum and more momentum each year. Um, yeah, it's a really good way to kind of meet and greet and rub elbows and have a lot of fun in the podcasting area. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, They have really- like lectures and information on how mm-hmm. to improve your podcasts. And- yep. Yep. Improvement, uh, you know, licensing when it comes to music and just all kinds of things. It's uh, pretty cool. I'm definitely maybe. enjoying this whole podcasting thing. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah, maybe next year we'll have to plan a, a group trip. Our trip. Well, I don't know about Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Tony doesn't do well in crowds. <laughs> well, we'll try to. Yeah, we'll try. Oh, yeah. For all the fret buzzers, we're missing a member today, if you haven't noticed already. Uh, Tony is out with laryngitis, unfortunately. Um, so it'll be up to Joe and I to take the helm. Yeah, but we're going to use this opportunity to dig into some things that we haven't talked about in the past. And Yeah, yeah. And before we do start, I also want to say uh, welcome to all the new um, subscribers and listeners. Uh, we've had quite a few in the past week uh, kind of sign up. Um, if you don't know, uh, this is Joe, um, and I'm Aaron, and there's another cohort here, uh, Tony, and we talk about music and musicians' life every every week and dive into all kinds of subjects, whether it's recording or techniques or teaching or finding new jobs or whatever it is. Uh, we just kind of get into it, and it's very enjoyable, so... If you uh, like the show, by all means, give us a good review on iTunes uh, or stop over on YouTube. Uh, for those podcasters out there that you don't know, we are on also YouTube. And for the people on YouTube, if you don't know, you can also go to your mobile and download a podcast app and listen to us on the go. So, yeah, by all means, welcome. All right. Well, So a big thing we wanted to talk about today was um, kind of starting a career in a new city. And for me, that's especially important because I went through that two years ago Mm -hmm. and I've got more of that in my foreseeable future. Yep. Um, My wife's in the Navy, so we have to move every few years. It's a possibility we could stay in one place, but... It's more likely that we'll move around every few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, moving is not easy, that's for sure. It's not easy, but it's it's a blessing and a curse, and it, it's definitely exciting. Yeah, um, oh yeah. I, I think had I not moved, I wouldn't have known a lot of the things I know now um, about how to 
make it quote unquote, make it, right. um, you know, how to be successful. And, um, I don't think all cities are created equal. No, um, absolutely not. That's I think I cool. see that much more clearly now that I've moved around a few times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to back up to when I was in the Washington DC area with you. Okay. Um, probably pre meeting you, um, for everybody out there, I was, uh, I studied structural engineering in college. I was helping to manage the construction of big commercial buildings, that sort of thing. But I always loved playing music. I grew up playing piano and I played viola in the middle school and high school orchestra. Mm. Um, got in a rock band in high school. I loved it. And, uh, eventually in college, I, I was playing in a duo with my cousin and, Anyway, so while I was working in the construction industry, I started a band called Albino Rhino and was playing with these guys and it was fun. I was starting to practice harder when I could. How did you start that band? How, was it actually, were you the, the one who put that all together? So I was working with a guy named Ren and yeah. we both had essentially the same job for the same company. Okay. And we got to be friends and, you know, he played acoustic guitar. Well, he played guitar and I played guitar and we got together a couple times and just played some music. And then I decided I wanted to get a drum kit and I started learning how to play the drums. Okay. <laughs> and he came over and he started wanting to play my drum kit while we were playing. Right. And he had a little bit of experience and, uh, he kind of took it over. Yeah. He kind of like stole the, stole the drums from me, <laughs> but which it's was cool. fine. I, yeah. you know, it's I love cool. playing the guitar. So he'd come over and play the drums and I'd, <clears throat> I'd play guitar. We'd both sing and we ended up getting this gig at a place called Dogwood Tavern in Falls Church right outside of DC. Yeah. And played a couple gigs there. We put out a, a Craigslist ad for a bass player because we kind of had this black keys, you know, garage blues rock thing going right um we put out an ad for a bass player and this guy named avi shows up he's the first guy we interviewed he shows up and he could slap really well and he was he was a really funky bass player yeah he really liked playing funk music and we took him we we didn't interview anybody else and uh so we became a trio and definitely morph from this blues garage rock into more of a funky blues garage rock. Right. And then, you know, we ended up playing a lot of funky blues. And as we got into it more, we started doing more like jam band kind of stuff. And yeah, we got really into, you know, extended improvisation and stuff like that. Um, But we were all, you know, we were amateurs, but we were really having a good time and we were out playing shows and playing more and more shows and the more we got into it the more we were practicing and you know there's a lot of growth there yeah so yeah so i was playing this band called albino rhino and um yeah and we actually uh we ended up getting hooked up with this local independent record label and i'm not going to put their name out there right now but we got this little record deal and they, there's mostly this one guy who ran it. Mm-hmm. They 
he was going to pay for our album to be recorded and all the publishing stuff. And, um, and yeah, that, so and, and that didn't happen. <laughs> well, it's it's not that simple. It kind of did happen. Oh, didn't. No, no, I just say I say that because that's usually what happens is somebody says something and then it doesn't follow through. But I'm just uh, joking. I'm just no, joking. no, you're you are right. It <laughs> we got. I mean, it seemed like all you know our, our dreams were coming true. Was yeah, what yeah, it yeah. felt like, and yeah. we were really careful with the contract and you know, didn't hire a lawyer, but we had some lawyer friends kind of read over it and give us some tips. And, you know, I, I read it, you know, all 20 pages, whatever, yeah, line for line. And we made amendments to make sure that we were, that we owned our songs in the end and things like that. Okay. So that, I mean, that, that for anybody in the audience is extremely important. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that will have the opportunity to do something like that. And, I just want to highlight how important it is that you go over everything and make sure that you indeed own the rights to your own music. And I mean, that's just, that, that could get real hairy real quick there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even reading it. It was hard to tell. And so we ended up writing up an ad- amendment or addendum Yeah, that was very clear. Like this, we will own our songs forever. Yeah. The the record label had at least equal ownership of the actual recordings, but we still had the rights to the the songs, the you know the lyrics and the compositions. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so we really thought there was a little while where we really thought we were going to make it. We we had some financial backing and we were getting paid studio time, which was amazing because I didn't have none of us had studio experience. Right. So we were going in on somebody else's dime and, you know, really learning a lot about how to, you know, the recording process and, uh, yeah, actually making some tracks that started to sound much, much better than our garage recordings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I got recruited to play lead guitar in a band called Bells and Hunters. Mm. They were, uh, another local Arlington DC band that had been around for, I think eight years at that point. Wow. I was like their fifth lead guitarist is driving their lead singer, rhythm guitarist crazy. <laughs> Kept getting, you know, getting attached to these lead guitarists and they keep moving away. Yeah. That's how DC kind of is. It's a transient city in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, uh, true. So I was getting really into it. I was playing shows in, at night and sometimes we'd be out until, two in the morning and then construction industry, especially in DC. A lot of times they want you to be at work at 6 AM, sometimes five, five thirty. which yeah, it's a big region. That means maybe you need to leave home at four or five. So you're waking up at three thirty four. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was brutal. So I, I got to the point where I realized that I needed to make a choice in my life. Yeah. I was either going to be a hobby guitarist with my career or I was going to need to at least give it a shot, you know, give it my 100% with the music. Now this is all while you're doing the whole studio thing and being paid to go into the studio and record tracks and whatnot like that. Yes. So you still have this momentum behind you in this decision. Yeah, absolutely. I still really thought that this was going, I thought I could make it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, looking back, that was, it was very naive, incredibly naive, but I understand what I was thinking at the time. And 
there were a lot of things going my way. And honestly, I'm really glad I was that naive. I mean, right. if I had been, if I knew what I knew now, it might have been too intimidating to jump off the cliff. Yeah. No, that's now it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could still be working construction and whatnot like that. Um, <laughs> and that, oh and that, <laughs> that is enough of an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're in a job and you look at your bosses and you look, you know, you look around in the office, it's, you know, 6 PM, you want to leave and your bosses are still there and they're ornery and in their fifties and divorced and, you know, they want you to stay just cause they're pissed off and you start seeing that, you know, I worked for that company for four years yeah, and I looked at going to other companies and kind of moving around to different segments of the construction industry. Yeah. I started to see a lot of trends. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a, you know, it's the type of industry where you don't have a lot of control over your life. The, the projects move quick. There's always, you know, timelines and it's a lot that's not under your control. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle that, you know, you're getting paid money and you have (sighs) security yeah. You know, and that's, that's good for a lot of people. That's something that they, um, they kind of look at an earlier age, they look forward to, you know, all I really want is to be able to have security and provide for a family later down the road. Um, and that's, that's what's most important. I know for me, kind of like the same thing, there was one day where I was plowing snow, uh, four, it was three thirty in the morning. Uh, I was plowing snow, snow for students at Penn State, uh, and I hit a manhole um, with the plow, and my head just went wham right against the windshield, oh. and I just flipped out. <laughs> I, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I cannot see me here doing this in 20 years and being happy. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't. And that was the moment that I made made that decision. That was that was it. I was like, I I... I need to be happy in my life. I need to pursue music. That's, that's my calling. I know it is. I've known it for a long time. I've just been so secure in this job Mm -hmm. that, you know, I didn't really think about it any other way. So you were making money that helped pay for your musical hobbies at that point, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I was making, I had bought a house at that point, you know, I was just, yeah. I mean, I was like, I was living the good life. But, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't, my soul wasn't happy. I wasn't exactly like, this is, this feels right. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. I was plowing snow and mowing lawns and pruning ewes. (laughs) And and there's definitely an artistry to a lot of that. And I Mm -hmm. enjoyed a lot of that being outside. But at the same time, you know, at night then when I'd go play with my band and jam out, it's like, oh this feels good. This is, this is where it's at for me. Mm -hmm. And the more you get into it, the more you, I mean, I was getting off work and I wanted to go practice so bad. I mean, even at work on my lunch break, I was drawing fretboards and, you know, thinking about music and there wasn't enough time to practice. I mean, there's even to this day that I don't get to practice enough. I think my wife would say otherwise, but (laughs) I, you know, the more you get into it, 
the more you want to improve and it takes your it takes all day for me to get to the level of musicianship that i wanted i felt like i needed to put in a, a 40 hour work week into music yeah makes 40 sense. hour play week um so i had jumped off the cliff i realized that i needed to find a way into full you know being a full-time musician and i definitely had to leave the construction industry right and that's where i found this place called bach to rock and um i went in to interview i was trying to get maybe like a part-time teaching job yeah just to try to get my foot in the door doing something musical making more stable money Mm. and i interviewed and then i ended up getting a job offer to be an assistant director. Um, So they liked the fact that I was managing, you know, at one time there were like 400 men and women on a construction site. And I I had that experience of managing people and schedules and money and that sort of thing. And so it actually seemed like a, it was perfect. I was going to get a salary and I had some stability so I kind of had a, a parachute as I hmm. jumped off my construction cliff. Um, so yeah, so I ended up going to work for this uh, music school. It's kind of, it's a competitor of School of Rock hmm. um, called Bach to Rock, which was at that time just a DC region chain. Yep. I think there were like seven locations at that point. Yep. And while I was there, it actually um, went corporate. Hmm. And there were a lot of changes that happened then. Um, we're up to, I think 30 some schools nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really growing. Um, and so yeah, box rock was a game changer for me. One, because it was my entrance into the musical world Two because Aaron Sefcik walked into my life or I walked into his life, I guess. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Walked onto into your territory. Mm -hmm. You had been there for how long at that point? This was 2014. Uh, I just had my 10 year anniversary. So 14, it's been six years. Wow. Congrats on that. Yeah, no, yeah. They actually filled my entire room with like three feet of balloons. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool for about the first week. And then I was like, I can't teach. (laughs) There's balloons everywhere. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) But yeah, that's thanks. Thanks to Kiko. She, (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. But yeah, so that I must've met you uh, about five, six years in. Yeah. It was July of 2014. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Bach to rock. I mean, I realized that it's not where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be an assistant director or a director is my career. But it was a very overall a very positive experience, and the people I met and the things I learned while at Bach to Rock were incredibly um, influential in my life. Mm. I mean, like right off the bat, you and I kind of hit it off talking about music and the guitar, and you're like, "You got to check out this this guy named Paul Gilbert. He's got this like this hour long or two different hour long teaching videos on YouTube that you can watch for free." Obviously, yep. he released it as a DVD back in the 80s or 90s. Yep. Um, or maybe he did one a, a decade later. Yeah. Um, that was a game changer for me. I mean, that like 
my whole style changed from this very Stevie Ray Vaughan driven thing with a lot of funk added to this Paul Gilbert, these, you know, three note per, per string scales and yeah, very technical. These, yeah. Yeah. It was really, it really changed things. And then you had this grand idea of having a, a Bach to rock instructor band. Yeah. And I, uh, it was brought time. me in. Yeah. It was time. I was, I definitely wa- I knew that there was enough talent around me at that time. Things just didn't seem that I, I tried it before in the past, but it wasn't exactly the it wasn't exactly what I kind of thought it should be or could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you, when you came along, it was, uh, I don't know. I just kind of had this moment of now's the time I'm going to try to put together this all original band where everybody kind of has input. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it worked out great. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was the most collaborative project at its core i've ever been a part of yeah me as well yeah people would bring either songs that they had completely written but were open to modifications Mm -hmm. um or they'd bring just an idea of a song and we'd literally co-write the song as a quintet yeah in the rehearsal space yeah yeah it was fun yeah it was really fun it was uh inspiring to be to see that musical process and have so many different personalities and you know like our piano player saw he saw music differently than we did as guitar players Mm -hmm. and he'd bring a whole different um you know kind of sound to the song that we might have had in mind and yeah, well, and drummer and bass player. It was, yeah, it was incredible. everybody did. The bass player had a different viewpoint. The drummer had a viewpoint. Even you and I had different kind of views on how we could approach things, and it, mm-hmm. it melded quite well together. Yeah, it was very nice that to work with professional musicians who weren't egotistical and it's the me show and all that kind of stuff. We were very willing to work with each other and Mm -hmm. take each other's ideas and, you know, Ooh, I haven't thought about that or, Hey, maybe try a little bit of this here. And we were very open in it and we ended up creating like, think at the end there were 15 16 17 songs that we actually had created yeah and we um, recorded at least eight or nine yeah um yeah uh there at the studio i would re- record um and i've said this multiple times on the podcast is i highly encourage everybody to record their practices so everybody can listen back but i mean i've always been in that practice but since we were actually in a recording studio uh, i took it upon myself to every session set up all the microphones and set up the session and record every single every single take and Um, he did for everybody listening aaron didn't just put a a room mic up aaron mic'd every (laughs) instrument like it was a professional recording studio yes i'd be like here's your e609 mic and put on my amp we'd put one on his amp we'd every instrument got its own mic or the drums had multiple and you actually mixed stuff and would Mm -hmm. sometimes pull out you know raise the level on my guitar for me so i could hear what i did and yep it was incredible yeah, no, I, I, because I've done that all my life, um, I know how beneficial it is to every single uh, player and musician. 
Um, and I enjoy the process. I, I know there's a lot of people out there, <laughs> a lot, most people out there were like, would probably say, wow, you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's just for band practice. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And it, and it helps out. Uh, I would listen to every single session multiple times. Uh, I would take people's parts out so they could just hear certain parts or rhythms uh, because it is, it's very beneficial to become an to be able to analyze what you've done or a fellow member has done and it helps you out. It really, really does. Cause there are many times within band practice that you're so focused on what you're doing or the overall sound that sometimes you miss details that can help you later on and making the song that much better. Uh, maybe the drummer did some kind of fill that he continually does. And I noticed like, Ooh, he keeps on doing that. Maybe I'll make a fill or a run around that and they'll kind of mm-hmm. meld together or something like that. So yeah, absolutely. I, I know I was insane with the whole thing, but nonetheless, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed the project. I had a lot of passion in that project and it was something that made me very happy to do because I knew that I was surrounded by, you know, professional musicians who took it seriously. Uh, and that just kind of, you know, helped me along but yeah. yeah so yeah by end by the end there were a good you know 17 18 songs um and yeah we did record quite a few of them we had our first ep which had four songs on it uh and then we recorded also another ep uh that we never released um for various reasons um yeah. but but yeah uh the whole thing was very enjoyable and mm-hmm. very glad that joe stepped in yeah, and that was that was the Kairos Quintet for everybody. If anybody does want to check it out, yep. Um, not all the recordings are available, but um, the original EP. I think most of those tracks are still available. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that was you know we you and I got to know each other really well through that and stay late on Tuesday nights after because you know Bach to Rock, any sort of music school like that, you're going to be teaching mostly majority are going to be um kids and teenagers mm-hmm. and they have to go to school so you know the bulk of the teaching hours are from three or four in the afternoon until eight nine o'clock at night yep and so we'd start rehearsal at nine nine thirty practice till midnight yep and yeah and then i had like a 45 minute drive home yeah um but yeah, so we uh, we really got to know each other, and I learned I learned so much, and I learned how far I had to go. Um, it was enlightening. Yeah, you yeah. gotta be you gotta play with better musicians to realize how much more there is to learn, and to want to step your game up. Yeah, it's and true. I think that you know, being surrounded by all the the great teachers at Bach to Rock. I really started to feel like I wanted to improve myself, my own music, musical um, abilities. And I, I decided that I didn't want to work as a director and assistant director and for the rest of my life. And I was still on this cliff jumping phase of my life. I'd been there for like, in the end, I think I was at Bach Rock for about eight months. Um, But I ended up going and, I tried out for um, George Mason's jazz program and thinking like, okay, jazz is the, you know, jazz is complex music. If I learn jazz, I can learn 
anything was kind of my view on it. I, I mean, I liked jazz. I didn't, I was pretty naive about jazz at that point. Right. I showed up for that audition and I'd learned my couple, my couple audition pieces and uh, I played them and they wanted me to sight read some music and play a jazz solo. And I was like, well, that's why I want to come to school here. And they're like, no, 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 it, it doesn't work like that. You need to, you need to be able to play jazz in order to get into music. They're like, we love your enthusiasm. You obviously can play your guitar in other styles, but um, they set me up and I studied privately with uh, Rick Whitehead, one of their professors. And um, yeah, I did that for, I don't know, four or five months and uh, actually learned enough I really got started with jazz then. Yeah. And uh, then I re-auditioned, got in, and said goodbye to Bach to Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to George Mason. Or I went to back to school to try to get an undergraduate degree in uh, jazz guitar performance. But I also took all the music education classes. Right. Because I had, I had an undergrad in structural engineering, but... Like I couldn't get into a master's program in jazz. I was like, I needed to take all the undergraduate classes. They're just such different programs. I didn't care what it was called. I, I didn't care that I was getting another undergrad. I just wanted the, the knowledge. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want want the information. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, looking back for me with my personality, Hmm. going back to school was the greatest thing I ever did with my life. I would not be who I am today. I don't think I would have the success that, that I'm having currently if I didn't go back to school. I remember, I remember the day that you would, you had actually said, I think about going to school. And I was like, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yep. was, I remember like pushing you hard on that. Just being like, look, you're young. You're not going to have the opportunity again do it (laughs) that's true you did i i kind of forgot about that oh no i was hard i was hard pressed on making sure that you went to school i i i remember that i remember you saying it and i was like don't even think about it like just just go and do it man yeah oh man thank you for that i really i mean it's not for everybody and no, you have to have the, you have to have the right mindset. And you did. That's, that's, that's one thing that I did see. in you as a person is, is that you are very structured and you're very motivated. Um, there are a lot of people who even just going into college don't have that mentality. Uh, I know I didn't at that time. Uh, it definitely takes a certain mindset and you have to be open to school and what it's all about. I know for sure that you were going back to school at uh, age 26, I think. Okay, 26. So you had this mindset of I'm here to learn. Uh, And a lot of younger kids, 19, 20, 21, have this mindset of I'm here to uh, explore who I am as a person and do a little bit of partying and I'm no longer living at mom and dad's house anymore. And you were well past all of that. Um, and you were on a path. Uh, so to me, school was perfect for you. Um, and I knew that you would get a lot out of it. And obviously you did. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, school is, 
the thing about school, I mean, if you wanted to be professional jazz player, mm-hmm. the better option might be to go to somewhere with an incredible jazz scene and just like get in there yeah, and study under, you know, pay for private lessons with the best players around and play, 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 play. Yeah. Immerse yourself. Immerse yourself completely. Um, however, you know, I'm still not convinced I want to be just a professional jazz guitarist. I mean, I, I love playing jazz, right? but I love all music and I love all aspects of music, whether it's the performance, the teaching, the composition, the getting to podcast and talk about music. Yeah. Um, school makes you very well-rounded. Um, you know, you have to take classes in piano, ear training. So you're actually learning how to hear the intervals and the melodies and being able to sing them. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a singing, a vocal technique class. It was actually training your ears. You know, you're singing scales, you were reading sheet music and they'd give you a starting pitch and you'd actually sing the melody that was written just by looking at it and using your, your ears and your intervals. Yeah, and that, um, that process is, is gosh, that's brutal. <laughs> uh, well, it's brutal, but I mean, think about how much you learn from just that process and oh, yeah. knowing where, okay, on a piece of paper and looking at and previous to going through all of that, looking at a interval on a piece of paper, it's like, yeah, I, major third or minor second or whatever that is, but actually going through the physical process of, singing it and speaking it and and getting out of your head and making it so it's like audible yeah that process is night and day it changes things i mean that's the same thing with like when i sit down with students to teach them is like yeah i know you're counting that in your head but i want to hear you i actually want to hear you go one and two and three and four mm-hmm. and while you're playing that is a very difficult task and it once you go through that process on the other side of that things just kind of click they make sense but before that in this whole idea of yeah i get it it's a yeah, it's a major third or yeah yeah it's one and two and three and four and it's like no 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 no. you actually need to go through that process that process of going through that vocal that's whew, yeah so beneficial it helps you learning to play songs by ear. It helps you when you're improvising, you can hear your melodies in your head mm-hmm. before or as you're playing them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, inc- it's incredible. It was <laughs> 9 a.m. in the morning after fighting Northern Virginia traffic. It was the first part of my day. We'd be in a big circle in that ear training room and he'd just call on people, sing number 84. And oh, he was, he was brutal, <laughs> you know? You had to, I was more nervous about that class than anything else I took in, in music school. (laughs) I mean, some people, it came easier to them. That was, I had to uh, go a longer way. I didn't have as much background in that. And I mean, if I ever have kids, they're going to be practicing ear training from like the moment they, you know, when they're born. Right. I don't know. I'm going to have, have them doing it at least when they're able to talk and think about (laughs) it. Yeah. This this major minor. Play the chord. Start training their ears young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we took classes in piano. Uh, we took classes in um, ear training. 
took mu music theory, music history. Um, I took all these classes in all the different instruments. So I took high strings, so violin, viola, I took low strings, bass and cello. I took woodwinds where I got to play saxophone, flute, clarinet. Um, I took percussion. I took class guitar where I actually took a class on teaching guitar. You know, I was a guitar, jazz guitar major, but there were all kinds of students in there. Yeah. And I actually learned a lot from that because it was more focused on teaching beginner students. And I, there's a lot that I took from that that I use to this day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really feel like I just became a better musician overall and I diversified my um, abilities and skills. And, you know, now I'm very comfortable teaching piano and, you know, at least beginner intermediate piano, drums, bass, um, any level of guitar. Yeah. I've had saxophone students, although I haven't had any for a while. So I feel like I'm getting, <laughs> getting rusty on that, but, um, yeah, just, it helps. And if you want to be a professional musician, if you're, if you're not going to make it big in Nashville or, you know, if you're not going to try to become world famous, having the diversification of skills helps you to bring in more money. Right. Um, so yeah, school was, school was great. But then my wife, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time. She was inspired by my cliff jumping and decided to do a little cliff jumping of her own. And next thing I know, she's joining the Navy and, uh, <laughs> she got shipped off to Virginia beach and I had to make a decision whether I was going to stick with her or not. Cause yeah, three years of long distance didn't seem feasible to me. Right. And so I, I left, uh, the DC region and I moved to Virginia beach. I left three bands. I was somewhere around halfway through music school. Mm. Um, yeah, I love, I left everything up there, all my connections and I started afresh and I feel that now because I've done that, I've, I've learned how to make it at least I think in any city kind of like Virginia beach. So, so what was that process like? So, I mean, you left and at some point you knew that you were going to have home base in Virginia beach. What were your actions in terms of getting yourself started again? What were, what, what, what things did you, you know, set up so that when you actually moved there or, I mean, how, like even that, how, how much preparation beforehand did you do or what did it look like once you actually got down to Virginia beach and how did you set up shop? So I, first of all, thought that in the future, I was going to try to transfer into Old Dominion University. That's the one of the state universities in Norfolk, which is 20 miles away from Virginia Beach. And they have a jazz music program. That was my, what I thought was going to happen. In the meantime, the very first thing I did was I went into the studio and paid to get professional demos done. I did a few jazz tunes, just solo jazz guitar. And I did a few 
of me playing acoustic guitar and singing cover songs. Okay. And what was that and I, for? Um, and I, and I paid a friend to help me build a website, which okay. is still out there. Joe McMurray.com. Um, so I, I put together a, a professional looking website and with actual professional demos, right? At least they seemed professional at the time, but, uh, yeah. So that way, once I moved to Virginia beach, and I, and I also got I got a thousand business cards and I I went out and I started going door to door essentially to restaurants, bars, clubs, music venues. Not that there are a lot of music venues in this Virginia is all Beach. Previous to you moving down there, uh, all the website and the and the recording the demos was that couple months leading up to it. Okay, and then once you got actually down there, then you start doing door to door. Yeah, because I, I finished the semester at George Mason in May, and okay. then I, I set a date of like mid-June to move. I think it was when my rent was up. Right. So um, I spent that month trying to prepare those things, you know, the website and the recordings. Yeah. And then when I got down there, I started going out trying to get gigs. And one of the best things I did was I found this uh, local farmer's market, arts and farmers market right in my area um and i got an in with that with them i asked if i could perform for free yeah and i had to get a virginia beach business license and they had me get a, one of those 10 foot by 10 foot uh like shade canopies and oh yeah yeah a tent yeah i had to get a tent and i had to go out and get extension cords and all the stuff to be able to go out there and do it at the farmer's market. I actually went and got a like science fair poster board yeah. and stencils and made a, this poster that said free trial music lessons. So that was my deal with the farmer's market people. I, I, they didn't have to pay me because they would have talk about exposure, man. Like, yeah, like that's, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. There are hundreds of people walking around local people moms and dads kids kids yeah and i would actually be out there and i'd play but then i'd try to talk to people and you know people would ask about the trial music lessons and i would literally have a guitar there and another chair and i'd give a lesson you know like a 10 minute lesson (laughs) yeah anybody for free to try to hook them essentially yeah and uh I got my first, I don't know, five, I got several students, maybe, maybe it was five students from that. Awesome. I did that for like a year and a half, but, um, yeah, I got my first students. And so I, I had like that little bit of income coming in and that, you know, after about six months, they, those students and their parents were happy and they started telling their friends and it, exploded all of a sudden i got it doubled over the course of like a few weeks Mm -hmm. and ever since it's just been i mean now i've got i've got a lesson right after this it's sunday i've got two more lessons this afternoon i've got i've got students everywhere i can possibly stick them because i don't have time how many students do you have uh i think it's around 30 okay and I perform a lot. So that's right. kind of the problem I have. If I was teaching only right full time, I could, 
I could take more students, but I mean, I was, I had all my Monday, like four or five Monday students. And all of a sudden I got all these gigs come in on Mondays and it's in Newport news. And so it's a, it's a hefty drive, but it's, they pay well enough that it's worth it. Mm. Especially if I can reschedule those lessons. And so now I'm, <laughs> I've pushed my, all my Monday students into every nook and cranny I can find in my schedule after school. So moving to a new area, farmer's market is a very good way to kind of get yourself in front of people. Uh, then the other question that I would have is, were there any tactics that you used that didn't work? It didn't work. Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, I, I definitely at one point tried to, so I was living in an apartment building and I made, I went to FedEx Kinko's and I made, I think 200 copies of a flyer about music lessons. And I literally walked around my entire complex apartment complex, which had like 200 units, I think. Right. And slid these flyers under every door. Okay. I think it was like $20 worth of flyers and, you know, at least several hours worth of effort. Right. I got zero clients from that experience. <laughs> okay. Um, Good to know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I still would suggest it to other people. I mean, it may work for you. My, yeah. my apartment complex apparently wasn't very musically inclined, Yeah, but that could be because of the type of place I was living in. Yeah. I'm just um, trying to think of like, once you do move to a new area, what are all the possible things that would come to someone's mind in terms of how do I get myself out there and how do I advertise? I know like one of the first things for me, not right now, because I don't know how relevant it is, but something like Craigslist, uh, at least back in the day, you know, mm -hmm. I'd always, I'd always see people kind of putting, you know, an ad for Craigslist, or I do often see on what is it marketplace on Facebook, uh, people will put out, you know, in a local area, Hey, I do lessons, whatnot like that. I find that those don't work very well. Um, I think mainly because there's no way of actually knowing as a, you know, a paying customer, what you're getting into and who the person actually is. That's why I kind of like the, what you did with the whole farmer's market. Um, it gets, it gets the potential customer away for them to actually know who you are. Face-to-face really? -face interaction. Right. No, you're, you're not some kind of creep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Some creep who's going to take my children. Mm -hmm. um, and you actually, I can stand here and watch, you know, what you're doing and say, oh, okay, this guy actually knows what he's doing. And so, yeah, I really like that idea of actually getting out there amongst the community and kind of making yourself uh, another name with, mm -hmm. amongst the community. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I got a sign. I made a big, like an actual sign. Uh, I had it made and it's like a five foot long by one foot sign that had my, my website on it. Like I did a lot of things like that to try to make sure that wherever I was, if I was out doing something, I got the most out of that experience. People, you know, you see, how many times do you go out and you see somebody performing and you don't know who they are? Right. Like maybe they say it over the mic and they say their name and you don't hear what it is because there's all the reverb on their mic and right right even if you do if you do hear it at that moment a couple hours later by the time you get home you don't remember who it was do you see a lot of traffic coming into your website from something like that 
A lot. Uh, I mean, do you see some? I'll say that. That do you see some? Not necessarily. Right. No, I I have not found internet success. Right. Um, but I don't care anymore. I, like I said, with albino rhino, I used to think maybe I had a chance of getting famous, but I don't care anymore. I I mean, I want to be the best player I can be, and I want to make a living playing music. Right. And teaching. And doing these farmers markets was a great avenue to building up that revenue stream. You, the other you, thing I did was, I mean, I played in bands for in the Washington D.C. area. Mm-hmm. I got down there to Virginia Beach, and first, right off the bat, I was on Craigslist, like you said, saying, "Hey, I'm a available lead guitarist. I sing. Um, I want to. I wanted to be in bands, and I wanted to make money doing that." And mm-hmm. I tried out for a couple bands and you know, I was in one band where they were playing cover songs and they were okay. But I like the band members as a whole, they weren't that professional though. And they wanted me me to play the solos that were on the tracks. And they were like, it's like a, like I remember one in particular Coldplay song that had a pretty simple guitar solo and like, I didn't want to play that. I <laughs> they wanted to be like memorize that solo. And I was like, okay, this isn't the band for me. Right. And they didn't seem like they were making good money, enough money for that to be worth it. Right. You know, they always talk about, you need the three things you need two of the three good people, good music and good money it, to make it worth it. You need two of those. Yeah. You know, there's, if you hate the band members, but you're making good money and playing great music, maybe it's worth it. Right. Um, or any of the other combinations, but you know, I started doing that, and one day at my apartment building, my wife and I went out to the grill to grill, you know, they had grills outside in the courtyard. Oh, okay. And there wasn't one available, so we asked this other couple our age if we could share the grill with them. Right. And turns out the girl was a, uh, she worked with one of the resort companies in the area, and you know, we were talking about what we did and she's like, oh, you're a guitarist. I need someone to play for an event that I've got. And literally that, that was a life changer. That fortuitous meeting was a game changer for me because I got my foot in the door with one of the big resort companies in the area. And that one gig went well. And I started, I mean, now I do a lot of work with them and that's very consistent money. And, um, once that started coming in combined with the students, I really felt like I, I could do this and I didn't, you know, school kind of fell off the radar a little bit, a lot. And, um, and, you know, gradually you build up, I started getting gigs at local bars and restaurants and, you know, you just keep building up your schedule. And to that, I mean, it takes a lot of um, hard work and preparation and yeah. organization, organization, organization. I have an Excel spreadsheet where I have all my, my schedule, my lessons, everything that has to do with my business and yeah. my income streams and everything is tracked down to the penny. And I look out and I can see what gigs I have coming up, how much revenue I can expect for, you know, I'm looking at December and January now it's, the end of September, I'm booked out through the end of the year. I'm going to the, the performance places and I'm asking for 
gigs in January and February now if they're willing to book out that far. A lot of times they're funny about the end of the year. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I, I'm looking at that. I'm tracking invoices. I'm some places you have to send them invoices to get paid and yeah. I'm tracking to make sure I've updated my website and promoted the proper shows week of I'm I'm writing in my notebook. I have a two week look ahead, sometimes three week if it's busy to see what I have coming up and what I need to prepare. So like I have this jazz gig in DC next weekend for uh, an, my uncle's uh, art gallery opening. And so it's, uh, it's all jazz. So I, I wrote out my set list last night for that. And I'm going to make sure that I've gone through each of those songs prior to leaving on Friday morning to go up there. It's your business. It's your livelihood. You have to take it seriously. Anything other than would just be a, like a hobby. You know what I mean? If yeah. this is your business and this is, this is, this is what you do for your living. You, you have to be serious about this. You have to make sure that you dot your, t- your cross your T's and dot your I's. Um, it's, it's very important. And you were saying, you know, success. Yeah. You may not be successful in terms of the, the spotlight or the bands or anything like that, but you are truly 100% successful because you're doing something that you love and you're making money and a living doing it. So by all means, that is 100% success. You have done it and are doing it. So now I guess my next question to kind of close this out is knowing that you're going to be doing this all over again in in a relatively short period of time, Mm-hmm. What are you looking to do once you get there? Same um, thing? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this time it'll be significantly easier. Right. It's um, a little more streamlined. Yeah. I mean, I have my my solo show is so much better than it was. I mean, I I use my looping pedal. I Sometime, I don't know, six months after moving down here, I switched from my Digitech, Digitech Jam Man to this uh, Trio Plus pedal that, I mean, that's a game changer for me because it's a convincingly good band in a box. Yeah, and, you, yeah you've got a backing band, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to pay them and or rehearse with them. I uh, I mean, it's it takes some practice using it, but I have, my show is put together well. I've weeded out a lot of the songs that, you know, I used to play a lot of the songs that weren't necessarily the best fit for certain venues. And now I have, I have a great, bar set list. I have a great, I mean, I play a lot of retirement homes and I have a fairly deep uh, repertoire of music from the thirties through the sixties now that I can use for those situations. I have more coffee shop um, appropriate music. I have, I played on the summer for live in Atlantic and I have, you know, outdoor beachy music, kind of similar to what I was playing at the the farmer's market. So When I go to the next place, I now have, I have the repertoire and the, I have the set list to do it. I have a lot, I have better live recordings of me playing. Um, and I'm going to make some better, I'm actually supposed to be making a music video next Friday in the art gallery before the actual event. Right. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. doing some, yeah. And actually trying to put my current show into um, you know, a video so that when people go to my website, they see the most 
current version of my performance. Right. Because like those demos I recorded two years ago, I think they're crap now. I hate them. <laughs> they're deleted from everywhere on the internet. I'm sure they still exist somewhere, but yeah, I mean, it. Every day, you know, you get better and you look back on what you did, and yeah, it's yeah, for me. It's difficult to listen back and hear my flaws from the past, but I think that when I go to the next place, it's very dependent on where we go. The Navy, there are some great spots. Like, I think Hawaii would be amazing as a musician. Yeah. Um, I think somewhere like Fallon, Nevada would be very difficult. I'd have to be probably going out to Tahoe and playing in Reno. Although I've been to Reno, that it's not exactly my scene from, you know, just like what I'm used to, the type of music I like to play. But... Uh-oh. You know, a lot of all the angry letters coming in from Reno for Joe. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's nothing against the city, but no, I don't know that no, they have the, joking. <laughs> yeah. They um it really is is um place dependent. So yeah. if I'm in on a deserted island somewhere, I'm gonna be probably doing more on the internet. I'm gonna be looking more into recording music for Netflix and commercials like things like that. I'm gonna be doing fret buzz and internet lessons and things like that. Um, if, if I'm in a big city, I might have to have a different, um, approach than if I'm in a tourist town. Yeah. I know something that comes up to mind is something like, uh, in episode 12, mm -hmm. we had Brian Quinn on the, on the show. And, uh, he had said something along the lines of how he works with a lot of Nashville, um, artists doing studio work, um, Mm -hmm. remotely. So, uh, even though he's not in Nashville, uh, he's made a lot of connections there and does a lot of work for them as a studio player. Uh, so something like that would also be, um, an Avenue, maybe not Nashville or maybe Nashville, but other studios that would be, um, looking for studio musicians to record. So that's always an avenue. Yeah, well. absolutely. I, I think that, yeah, I, I think it really depends on where I am. And, you know, I'm my, I'm fortunate that I have the ability to go out and play shows on my own. I'm, I wouldn't want to go on American Idol, but I, I'm comfortable going out singing, which I think is, is really helpful for me to be able to go out and play by myself. Mm. Um, um, and obviously, I love playing the guitar. Um, I think if you were, you know, if you were a bass player, you were a great bass player, you'd probably have to have a different approach. You'd Maybe you could be a singing bass player. Maybe you could be a bass player who gets competent enough to um, perform using the guitar, but also having your bass with you and have some sort of unique solo show like that, where you kind of lay down a rhythm on the guitar or the piano and then you you know play some awesome bass and sing yeah um yeah i think i think it's gonna be different for everybody but i just being diverse i'm i know wherever i go i'm gonna be fine i i'm gonna be i can teach enough different instruments that i can work with different people um i know that i can perform at different types of venues so i have a lot of options open so I just love playing music and, you know, I'm passionate about it and I feed that passion. I think that anybody who's 
an artist knows that you can get in a rut and the way that you get out of those ruts is by continually learning new things. I, every day I work on something different. I get bored if I play the same songs. I get bored if I play the songs I know the same way for too long. I, you know, I'm constantly reading magazine, you know, guitar magazines and I'm listening to new music. It's part of, I love that you guys are, we're all, listening to albums that we're, we're each recommending albums to each other. We're going to do a, a different podcast on that coming up. Yeah. New uh, come, upcoming episode on albums, influential albums, which is yeah. very exciting. It's very yeah. cool. Listen to music outside your box. It is yeah. incredible. Go to music festivals, go to live music and see people playing. You have to feed the passion. Yeah, you really do. You really do. It, it is to be able to call yourself a, a musician and a player is um, you have to, exactly like you said you have to feed it you have to do it all the time it's um especially while you're young (laughs) it's not as easy when you get a little older and have a family and kids uh but it's uh yeah there's something about you know once you find something you absolutely love uh just immerse yourself do it because it will you will find yourself getting in ruts and um, the only way to break out of that is just kind of immerse yourself even more and you'll yeah. find that you'll find that flame within no time at all. Yeah. Half the battle is just sitting down with something. Yeah. If you can start doing it and you get into it, you know, next thing you know, an hour's passed and you get excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. It's very true. This has been, this has been great to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. This is pretty all right. Yeah, I, I wish Tony had been here, but um, I hope he gets oh, better. He is here. I don't know if you guys heard all that dinging going on, but Tony is here. <laughs> <laughs> he really wants to be here. <laughs> uh, we all enjoy this for sure. Um, and I just want to say thank you again for all of you guys who uh, tune in and listen to us each week. We really do appreciate it. We love doing this and having an audience. And it's just going to get bigger and better. Um, we're going to start doing some things that uh, incorporate you know, our community and start building a community and get a conversation going. That would be really, really cool. Um, if you have concepts or topics that you would like us to cover um email us or uh put a comment in the section down below in youtube or whatever it is um or if you know someone that you think uh we should have on the show i mean feel free to suggest us yourself or someone else yeah yeah absolutely Uh, if you have somebody who's uh in the industry right now currently doing it and is passionate send us send us a link or send us a, a query and we'd love to kind of investigate that and get into it uh brian quinn awesome uh, taylor nordberg awesome next week we have another wonderful guest um in the upcoming weeks we have more awesome guests uh our show is going to be touching on a lot of different aspects whether it's education or whether it's you know, finding jobs or technique or just if it's musically related, we'd love to have a discussion about it. That's what we are here at Fret Buzz, the podcast. Um, We're just passionate about the musical life and helping others and discussing with others about that. 
the musical life. It's it's wonderful. I don't know that there's many people out there having the discussion like this, uh, and that's why I like chatting with these guys every week. Yeah, we get to geek out about the things that we like the most. Yeah, that we're passionate about. Love it. And we were glad that you guys like uh, geeking out with us. Yeah, yeah, very true. So yeah, until next week, guys, have a good one, and we'll uh, we'll see you next next week for the for the next one. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Well. Have a good day and enjoy. I'm going to do a little breakdown. There he is. God, this is brutal. And cut. And scene.